Jennifer Fraser is author of The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health. She has a PhD in comparative literature and The Bullied Brain is her fourth book. She draws on medical, neuroscientific, and neurobiological research to examine what happens to brains that are bullied and abused. Jennifer is an award-winning educator and works as a coach, consultant, and international presenter. This podcast is a dialogue that works in the first season like a coaching session. Eric shares his childhood experiences of being abused, and Jennifer discusses the implications for brain and for recovery. Our goal is to use Eric's childhood abuse like a case study as most people don't learn about their brains or about how abuse impacts their brains. The research is clear that the brain is innately wired to repair and recover when we know the harm done and the evidence-based practices to heal. This is the focus of Jennifer's book, but it comes to life in a podcast as Eric bravely walks us through the abuse done to him and his many strategies for healing his neurological scars. For all those who have suffered bullying, abuse, and trauma, join us to look at it through the lens of brain science and learn ways to repair the harm done. Hey everyone, today Jennifer and I, we're going to talk about my time in service. I'm chuckling because we probably spent a good 10 minutes trying to figure out what we were going to talk about to talk, you know, we were talking about what to talk about for a podcast that we're talking just about me. So you wouldn't think it would be that hard. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, and, and I was telling, again, I was telling Jennifer, I don't really remember our episodes because it's like we talk and, and it gets, it's, it's, it's very cathartic at times. Although I do have some, as, as I've mentioned, I do have some physical reactions sometimes, but it is cathartic. So, I don't tend to dwell on these conversations and, and I guess I should probably go back and listen to them. So I know what we're doing, what we're going to record the next time. But so Jennifer, we said that we would talk about my time in the Navy. How do you want to start that? Right. I mean, it, it's, I did 20 years. So there's, there's and a lot happened in the Navy. I'm a pretty open book. If I'm not, I'll tell you, but you know, I, I, I've bared enough already. I don't think there's anything I'm going to be embarrassed about with my time in the Navy. Why don't we start by looking at, which we've used as a compass throughout, where were the moments in the Navy where you felt most yourself, where you weren't operating from conditioning in the past, abusive conditioning in your family, you were, you were tapping into, hey, this is who I am. It's a really good question, because I'll tell you, most of the time, I felt like I was putting on a show almost. So a couple times, a couple instances really stand out to me. Having the opportunity to, to qualify different watch stations. So on submarines, you go through a process where you have to qualify and earn your fish. Your the warfare insignia. They're dolphin fish. Is is so they're two dolphin fish, with a conning tower in between them. So the the two heads of the dolphin fish are. are button up against the conning tower, which is just the the tower on a submarine you'll see, you know, the, the the part that sticks up the sail. So you have to earn your fish. And the other th- part of earning your fish is learning about the different systems on the submarine and going through and, and qualifying by saying, for example, you know, you'll have the air system. So you'll have high pressure air, low pressure air, and you'll have to draw them, you know, draw the systems, explain how they work. And you do that for nine different blocks is what it was. And you would have to, so the point I'm getting to here is each of those blocks represented a different, think of it like a department. And if you're thinking about a company, right, you have HR, you have finance, you have 
sales, marketing, each of those would be a different department. And if you core, if you take that analogy and you, you say, okay, well, so if you get to a, a, a company and you have to qualify, well, now you have to go through each department and say, this is what HR does. Okay. And when you've satisfied that, they'll sign off your block. And this is what marketing does. And they'll sign off your block. So I liked learning, but I, I, I didn't like being forced to learn within so many months. So I was delinquent till qualified because I just didn't take it seriously. Where I felt like my authentic self was after I was on board for a while, and I don't remember which boat I was on because I did three submarines, Albuquerque, Annapolis, and Virginia. It was either the Albuquerque or the Annapolis. I had the opportunity to qualify different watch stations because I'd mastered my own watch stations. I'd mastered everything I had to qualify for myself as a as my job in the Navy was interior communications electrician, later electronics technician. So I was my role on the submarine was monitoring atmospheres, keeping track of, of all the atmosphere monitoring equipment and things like that on the boat and sound part phones, things like that. It's really hard to explain to a layperson. So I got excited because I like to learn, you know, going back to me wanting to read and just, you know, so I, I really enjoy the learning on my terms. Like they made me qualify quartermaster of the watch. I didn't like that. Part of it was because they were making me do it. And part of it was, it required skills that I'm, I just still don't feel like I have, you know, where you would have to do dead reckoning. So you would have to figure out where the ship is going to be in 30 minutes, you know, using geometry and some other things, which I just struggled with. But then there were other watch stations I would qualify like sonar, basic sonar operator, where I would listen and listen for the, you would try to tell how many blades of a screw does a ship have or, you know, things like that based on what they sound like. And that was really cool, just learning the 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 theory behind it, right? And pedometer watch, where you you how deep are you? And there's a way to tell that by sound, by how long it takes the, the sound to bounce off the bottom of the ocean and get back up to you. And you have a stopwatch, and it's just you know that kind you know nerd out kind of stuff, right? I enjoyed that kind of thing. So that would be an example when I was in the Navy and I was really working from a place of this is my authentic self. Is I really like to learn. And then later on in my career, I had the opportunity to do something called the Million Dollar Sailor. We converted it to Million Dollar Service Member, where I was teaching a course to help people accumulate a net worth of a million dollars in their within a 20-year career in the Navy. And that was when I really first got exposed to finance and public speaking and, and things like that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I really like this. And I happen to be pretty good at it, you know, or at least I felt like I was pretty good at it, you know? So those would, I mean, they're two very different things, but maybe they're not, right? Like I really love learning and I also really love educating, but not teaching. And the distinction to me is I'm not patient, right? So if, if somebody isn't getting something and I feel like they should, I'm not really the guy you want to try to mentor you. Cause I'm just gonna be like, what is your problem? And it goes back to that empathy we were talking about, right? That, that you know, that lack of empathy. And I, I'm i not bothered by it, but I feel like I should be. So I've just... Well, you're not I bothered just by it because you don't have empathy, right? Huh? You When you don't have lots of empathy, that kind of thing doesn't bother you because you have low empathy, right? So it's not a problem for you. Like people will say to me in my work, working on abuse, they'll say, how does the person sleep at night? 
And I'll be like, they sleep perfectly because they don't feel guilt or remorse or any of these things that the rest of us suffer. That said, you can, you can really work and exercise and make flexible and build the, the myelination around your empathy neural network or around any network you want in your brain, any skill you want, including empathy, you can make more efficient, better, stronger. And that's the exciting piece of it. You know what I think would be, I mean, what really interests me in hearing about that? Well, a couple of things. I need to make an, a confession first. The whole time you were talking about the submarine, all I could think of, like I could barely concentrate because it was such a strong thought in my mind. All I wanted to know is if you ever got your dolphins for the Periscope station. I did not. So oh, how disappointing <laughs> you get your dolphins and you qualify other watches. And I never, I never, I never really did the, the, the periscope. The only time I got on the periscope was one Northern run. We were and Northern runs when you go above the Arctic circle. So I've been to the North pole three times under the ice. <laughs> Jennifer's kind of making like a little squirmy motion. The only time they let us say so they had extended us because the boat that was coming out to relieve us got turned away because they were making too much noise. So we got extended. They gave us periscope liberty. So they let us look out the periscope for a little while to break the monotony of, of you know, staring at four walls, as it were. So, yeah, but no, I, I never really spent a lot of time on a periscope. And did you ever have times where you like encountered or had to engage? I don't know if you're allowed to answer any of these questions. Engage with like enemies or? <laughs> I've never been in in boat to boat combat on a submarine. Are you just saying that? Like, is that code word for you're not allowed to tell us anything? Well, I'm not allowed to say mission wise what I did, but I, you know, there has not since the Falkland Wars been a time when a submarine has sunk another submarine. In the Falkland Wars, Britain sank a Argentinian submarine, I think. Or I think it was, or maybe it was a, a British submarine sank a ship, an Argentinian ship during the, I don't know, it was back in the 80s during the Falklands. And there has not been a time since where there have been two combatants for submarine, you know, submarines engaging that way. We've had submarines that have launched Tomahawk missiles, We've had just like we do with surface ships that do that, you know, and I, I don't, I think that's all public record. So, you know, I've, I've never been on a boat that did those types of missions. So are you on, like, what exactly are you tasked, if you're allowed to talk about this, what are you- A lot of it I'm not. Most of my missions are classified. Oh, okay. Let's not even go there then. Oh my goodness. Look yeah, we go somewhere- Trying to get us both thrown into jail. Yeah, no. no. On submarines, <laughs> on submarines. So in the surface Navy, it's a show of power. Right. In the surface Navy, when I was an aircraft carrier, we went to the Persian Gulf. We launched aircraft. We recovered aircraft. The aircraft had ordnance. They would they would do their job. Fighter bomber, you know, F-18s, you know, all those things. So you knew what an aircraft carrier was doing. That's what they were there for. And then they would pull into a lot of ports to because they're a display of American power. Right. You go the submarines I was on. You know, our missions were to be quiet, go somewhere, do something, come back. And, you know, we went somewhere, did something, came home and never talked about it. And, you know, I, I signed I signed documents where, you know, unless they're declassified, and I don't think the mission will ever be just declassified. I, you know, I'm, I'm not allowed to talk about where I was, what I did or any, any of that stuff. So 
Right. Suffice it, I can say, you know, I've been above the Arctic Circle and I can say I've, I've been in the Persian Gulf and I've, I've been, you know, different places, but we're not allowed to talk. I mean, the whole point of submarines is they're, they're covert. Okay. All right. So then my next question is, and it's it's about this idea of being like loving to speak and teach and all of a sudden kind of really, it's quite a major shift in many ways, starting to think about finance. What were the things that you taught others, other Navy personnel about like creating your million dollars and so how was, could you possibly do that? It was towards the end of my career. I became a command financial specialist and, and it was really about the first thing was budgeting. And I, I hate that term. I call it spending plan now, but it was also about, you know, should you buy or lease a car? Well, let's do this. You know, let's do the math on it. You know, it might make sense to lease a car. It might not, but let's do the math. You know, let's talk about how to save money for to buy a home or, you know, what is investing? What does that even mean? You know, things, things like that really, I look at it now, like really basic stuff, but it's so much people don't know. And it surprises me how much they don't know. Right. Because it was a two day course and, you know, people seem, seem to really enjoy it. And then I took that and built off of it. Like after I get out of the Navy, I was doing classes for a, a company called Balancing Life Issues. And I would go and talk about personal finance for an hour. And one of the feedbacks I got, and it stands out to me because it was like so awesome. But one of the feedback I got was I this woman had told who told me, she's like, I took two semesters in college of personal finance and I learned more in this hour than I did in those two semesters. I'm like, well, that's freaking awesome. That's amazing. It's really, I would just love to see your program integrated into all high schools. Yeah. Like all young people. It's, I mean, it's one of the most critically important parts of their education to survive and flourish. And it's, it's not taught. Instead, we teach all this kind of esoteric mathematics that no, except for the kids that are going into math, don't need. We don't need any of that. We do need to know the math on and how you just rationally kind of work through things like, you know, should I rent? Should I buy? Well, what's happening in the market? Am I just going to buy based on not even looking at whether the market's up or down, you know? And how long are you going to be there? And, and yeah. you know, you know, what's your long-term goal? Because yeah. really renting can be less expensive down the road. You know, for me, renting would probably make more sense than buying because I pay, I don't like doing anything with my hands. I don't want to be a handyman. So owning a house like I do now, I'm paying extra because I don't, I have a yard person. I have a housekeeper. You know, I would probably have to have both of those if I was renting anyway. But if I have a hand, if I need to do something around the house, I'm hiring somebody because I'd rather pay them to do it than try to do it, you know, do it myself. And yet I got my journeyman's as an electrician while I was in the Navy. So in theory, I could do this. I mean, I know how to do it. I just don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, there's, I noticed there's quite an interesting theme today for you. <laughs> and that is when, when you don't want to do something, you don't do it. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. I'm, not. I, I think a fair bit of that, my guess would be, you'll have to correct me. My guess would be that is a bit of a, you know, we talk about children who have defiance disorder. Well, usually a child with a defiance disorder has incredibly oppressive authoritarian parents. And the only way the child can maintain any sort of agency and feeling of control in their life is to say no, is to be defiant, is to disobey. And so it, it makes a lot of sense to me from a brain point of view that someone like yourself 
would would it would really really matter to you not to just comply or you know do anything that is not okay with you like if you don't like it you're not going to do it yeah to my detriment sometimes i think you know definitely to my detriment yeah and and going back to why i'm sure it's because you know i didn't have a lot of agency or i didn't feel like i had a lot of agency as a child i don't know that i would have put that into words until you said it but and it's funny that i would go into the military right you know because they're not exactly known for giving you agency Oh, the, that's exactly why you went into the military. You wanted to continue what you knew and what you felt comfortable with. And and I mean, it's, so it's like, if you grow up with an abusive parent, it's very likely you'll get into an abusive relationship because you end up choosing what you know. The brain is like, as we've talked about, right? You, you, create, you create your reality based on your past unless you really do heavy duty psychological work almost always with a professional to to shift it's hard hard work to shift gears right but basically so many of us our lives are just patterns we are just repeating you know what we know and and from a brain point of view like do you, you know the expression what fires together wires together have you heard that expression was it in your book yes obviously you didn't read very carefully What fires together, wires together, it's a phrase that neuroscientists use all the time in order to explain how the brain works. So when you were growing up and you were totally dependent on your parents, they were wiring into your brain everything that kept getting repeated. So you were repeatedly beaten, that got wired into your brain. When I, my relationship to the primary people in my world is one of violence, it's one of punishment, it's one of threat. It activates my stress response system. It makes me not trust people. I never know where the next blow is coming from. Like all of the things that you experienced wired into your brain because the neural networks constantly got fired up over and over and over again. So think of a kid, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but think of a child who grows up in a very orthodox religious house. The messaging around their religion gets fired in their brain so many times that it wires into their brain and they they believe it. It's a belief system that's very hard to get rid of. Imagine it for racism. You have parents who, or a community or a school that wires into your brain over and over and over again that you are somehow a superior being and people that don't look like you or aren't like you or aren't from the same culture, speak the same language, whatever, they are lesser. They, you can dehumanize them because they are not superior like you are. That's That's a very... That's a belief system that's being wired into the brain by constant firing. Now, what's exciting is all of us can dismantle these wired in belief systems if we want to, but it's really hard work. You have to consciously, so you, Eric, consciously now would need to say to yourself, hang on a second, do I really not want to do something or am I just going to default mode and I'm rejecting it? because I can see some hurdles. I feel like it's on someone else's timeline. I just don't don't wanna do it and I'm not gonna do it. Like you could just in the same way you unpacked, should I lease a car? Should I buy a car? Let's do the math. You do the math yourself with, do I really wanna do it or not? Let me do some measurements. Let me do some thinking, some feeling and emotion around this thing. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, it, it doesn't take long at least in my experience, to get that wired, you know, fired together, wired together. Because on submarines, we talked about 
it, it was always talked about again well it's going to offend people or it's not but women you know and how bad women are women dads mm-hmm. that you know because you know and, and just like they would entrap you or whatever sexual harassment and yeah, this is early 90s right you know I, I i'm i get it now but in the early 90s you know i was convinced that you know women in the navy were a bad idea and now you have women surfing on submarines and they're probably doing a phenomenal job because you know sexism is real <laughs> you know and and i think it's an excuse to have a good old boys good old boys club back in the day this was after tail hook so i don't think it was anywhere near as bad as it probably was with pre tail hook which in, was in the U.S., there was a big blow up where people were doing things they shouldn't be doing. If you really want to know about it, you can go Google it. But but there's that. And then there's also the belief that we had that we're better than the surface Navy. You know, the surface Navy is where you go if you can't cut it as being on a submarine. And I internalized that because when I got submarine disqualified from my psoriasis, and this goes, and, and it's part of what led to that was my, I didn't want to become an assistant navigator, which was the next position that I had to qualify to to make rank and, and to be to be where I was. I had to do that. And I knew I had to do that eventually. I had this convenient excuse of my psoriasis where they were going to let me try. They would have probably if I in, in it's been a lot of years. So bear with me. My memory's probably a little fuzzy here. And, you know, history's written by the victors. But I think they were going to let me do Enbril or Humera or one of those. It was a really experimental back in the, back then. It was, this would have been in 2005, eight, nine. I retired in 2012, Cuba, 2009, 2010. It's probably 2006, 2007. They just kind of blend together. I got kicked out of submarines because my psoriasis, because it was, it was covering all of my body. I mean, when I went out and saw the doctor, it covered... 85, 90% of my body, and it was breaking open, bleeding. It, it was miserable. It sucked. And you can't be on the submarine with open sores and things because there's a risk that you're going to get sick and then you endanger the mission of the boat. I, you know, so I had, I, I deserve to be disqualified. I, I went about it the wrong way, you know, and then, there, you know, by I, what prompted it was because I didn't want to qualify this ANAV course. And then when I get to the surface Navy, here I am on an aircraft carrier, which is the rep- you know, the biggest representation of they know nothing. And I went into it with that mindset. So, of course, everything I'm looking at is reinforcing this belief I already have because that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the evidence that proves my opinion. You know, they're not as smart as we are on submarines. They're lazier. They're, you know, whatever. Right. So everywhere I looked, I, I found evidence that because I was looking for the evidence. And then that led to me being the worst possible leading chief petty officer you could ever be. And and which circles back to what I told you before about people wanting to throw me overboard and stuff. So it's very real and it does not take very long to, especially if you're trying to fit in, to assimilate the mindset of everybody else to, to fit in. Absolutely. I mean, one of the brains, arguably one of the most important things for the brain is connection. The brain can't even develop without connection. So, you know, we have Maslow's hierarchy, which says that we can't advance until we have food and shelter. And then we can start to go to higher level things like connection. But that's true for the body. The body can't survive without food and shelter. But the brain can't survive without connection. And one of the ways that they can prove this, the neuroscientists, is 
they did research after Ceausescu, the Romanian dictator, he wanted a greater population. So he forced his people to have more and more and more babies, which they had to do because of the dictator. And they couldn't take care of them. They couldn't afford them. So they got housed in warehouses. They had food and shelter, but their brains could not develop. And they, they were studied I'm sorry to say, but they got a lot of neuroscientific research out of it by looking at the brains of these children. And they, the brain hadn't learned things like speech or how to walk or all kinds of things. And when you looked on a brain scan, you could see whole areas of the brain were just completely undeveloped or sort of extinguished in a sense, because the brain is an electrochemical phenomenon. That's how it works. So what you're saying makes perfect sense. And then another thing that's really interesting about the brain you described it yourself, that you were looking for what you believe to be true. And that's what you saw. That is exactly what the brain does all the time. And we think we think what we're seeing is reality, but we're not. We're always seeing how our brain has been wired to see reality. And to give a really quick, obvious example, just to kind of cement it in people's heads. Obviously, you and I see the same glass. It's halfway full of water. I say, based on my wiring, oh, that's fabulous. We've got half a glass of water. I'm an optimist. You look at it and see scarcity because you've grown up with lots of trauma and trouble and risk. And you're just like, oh my God, we've only got half a glass of water. Pessimist. It's the same reality. It's just depending on our brain, we see it differently. Absolutely. And, and unpacking this with you, it's, it's so kind of funny to me because I remember thinking I didn't, I never wanted to in air quotes, play the game, right? So I think, well, it goes back to that whole, I'm going to do exactly what you're telling me not to do, right? But at the same time, I'm internalizing the norms of the group. And then the way I got around that on the on the aircraft carrier was I had to, I had to make a conscious decision that this is not serving me well. You know, I need to do better. And, and I wasn't better i was never the the leading chief petty officer that that my 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 crew deserved the people that were working for me they, i was never what they deserved and i'm not going to make excuses for it i just wasn't but i did learn or and i did learn to start trying to be more of the the group like on they want the chiefs on the boat the chiefs on the ship the aircraft carrier really wanted me to to be eat lunch with them and, and all this. And I've, I've never wanted, I've never been one to do that, you know, and, and I don't, some of it's the oppositional stuff and some of it's, I just don't like people. I just don't want to be, I just don't feel comfortable around people. I never know what to, it feels like I never know what to say. I don't follow sports. The sports don't, they don't, they, they bore me in, and you know, I can pretend to be interested, but I'm just not right. So I would rather eat and get out of there because I'll, I, I will, I, I, I will eat with and be done in, in under 10 minutes. I don't care how much food you give me. I can be out and done in five to 10 minutes. But if I'm with somebody, I feel like I have to sit there to observe, to, to, to be polite. Like I'm, I'm trying to be what I think they expect me to be. So it stressed me out, but I came to learn that my life is easier in air quotes if I did that. So I, I, I started doing that and it, I never got to where I was looking forward to it, but I got to where I could tolerate it. And I got to where I could start looking for, because they would tell me, oh, so-and-so did such a great job. I'm like, really? And I would try to look at it from their point of view and like, oh, okay, I could see that. 
And then that started gradually shifting my thinking. You know, the other part of that is I'm a big believer in don't just focus on the negative. I'm, I'm pausing because I'm trying to think how I how to say this. When I was in the Navy, I would write positive counseling sheets just like negative ones. And I would try to write more positive ones than negative ones. But nobody else ever nobody else did that that I could see. But, you know, my lot my logic was this this sheet is just a piece of paper. It can be used for good or for bad. You know, just like the gun argument, it can be used for hunting or it can be used for murder, right? It's just a tool. So why not use it to build people up? And so I would try to do that, but then I would I would undo it all because I would get so angry when they didn't do something that I thought they should do, or they didn't live up to the expectation I had for them. And I didn't know how to communicate it. And I would argue, I probably still don't. I would get so mad that it would just come out like verbal diarrhea. I was never verbally i was never verbally abusive in the sense that i yelled but i never denigrated them i didn't say you're stupid i didn't say you effing so and so i never did that but i was loud and i was very high standards and again it it, it in in many ways i think it was probably a very toxic work environment where i'm going with all of that is i recognize the fact that i can recognize what i did was wrong and that I, I'm still working on not being that person shows that even though I have a in you know diagnosis, I'm not my diagnosis, right? I'm I'm not the same person I was 20, 30 years ago. I, I'm sure I could be if I if I embraced the diagnosis and said this is who I am. By the same token, there's parts of me that I've told my therapist I don't want to work on. I'm very comfortable not having a lot of empathy. I, I don't want to work on that part of me. You know, I'm I'm happy with who I am. So I'll leave that for you in the next 10 minutes here, Jen. <laughs> well, I do have some takeaways. One thing I notice is, and this has been throughout us unpacking sort of what happens when you're abused as a child and how does it manifest in later life and what can you do about it? If we say that that's our theme and, and how do we how do we draw on brain science as much as we can to kind of reframe and rethink these, these pressing issues in our society? And one of the things that's come up a number of times is how you felt compelled, like there was, because there was no authentic self that was reflected back to you by your parents, which is referred to by psychologists refer to this as psychological oxygen. So you grew up suffocating. Uh, you didn't have, you weren't being, you weren't getting the psychological oxygen you needed to fill the lungs of your authentic self. You were always in jeopardy. And parents, what they need to do to raise healthy, happy, well-adjusted empathic children is they need to see them. They don't need to impose anything on them or tell the child who they are or what they are or what their expectations are. It's it's a psychologist, Alison Gopnik calls this being a gardener. You create the soil conditions, you create enough water, you create sunlight, and then you watch your diverse, beautiful, complex child grow into their own potential. You don't wanna be a carpenter, she says. You don't build a box, you don't build a, a a frame and then stick the child in it and force them to fit it. That's going to crush a child's spirit. It's not going to give them the psychological oxygen they need. So how did this manifest for you? 
you, because you didn't have an authentic self to turn to, you kept trying to fabricate a self to fit in. So telling lies, because you were like, okay, wait a second, whatever I am is not acceptable. It's not loved. It's not valued. It's actually likely to be hit or verbally told that I don't exist. I have no worth or go, go die, you know, this kind of horrible stuff that, that happened to you. You were navigating like, wait a second, that person obviously is no good. So if I'm going to fit in, if I'm not going to be hurt, I need to be something else. So you've tried on all these different selves through line, through, you know, so for example, it's really interesting because your story about sitting and eating with other people, that is a massive exercise in empathy. And I know you were doing it in a, in a kind of a, I've got to fit in and I need to do better. And this is not serving me to not do this. At the same time as that would have been so hard to do. And if you can do that, sit and listen and just experience these people, that's such a huge exercise in empathy. Like you should be so amazed that you did it. It's huge. And you just did it on your own without any kind of professional support. That's huge. Another one that you did was you you put yourself in the shoes of the person receiving the report on them. And you said to yourself, well, I could be super negative and point out every single thing they did wrong, or I could notice all the good things they did. And it, and it didn't necessarily help you with anger issues, which is hardly surprising. If you, you have to think of a dog, think of your dog. If your dog was daily beaten, you know for a fact that if you just so much as raised your arm to get the salt, he would be ready to kill you right? He'd be growling. His fur would be on standing on it. He'd be warning you one more move. I'm going to rip your throat out. That's who you were. When you were angry, it had a lot to do with the fact that you had no, no communication skills, no leadership skills, because you had had wired into you in childhood, this model of my stress response system is activated. The sympathetic stress response system is activated. The only way I'm going to survive is to fight. So you were ready to fight which is probably what drew you into potentially Navy as well. It's, it's a warrior's job, right? It's the yeah. world of warriors. So there I'm going to say no. I joined the Navy because they gave me the opportunity to get away from Massachusetts and go to San Diego. And I literally couldn't think of somewhere further away. I didn't even know what I was going to be doing. I knew I didn't want to be a SEAL. I had no interest in fighting in combat. I wanted to join submarines because I thought they were cool. I wanted to be a helicopter pilot because I thought that was cool. I mean, it was very 17-year-old, immature, I yeah. think this would be fun to do, kind of cool. But no, I've never been interested in combat sports or you know karate or wrestling or really sports of any kind, or especially not team sports. But no, I've, I've never been more of, a, I, I don't have that warrior mentality. I'm when I'm when I'm rational, I will avoid a fight at all at all costs. Well, that's your authentic self. It's just that your wired self can't help but getting. Tr well, we use the word loosely triggered. It's inaccurate. Okay. From a brain science point of view, as I'm sure we've talked about, you actually are predicting. Your brain is predicting what is the best thing to do to survive. Your brain predicts what's the best thing to do to connect. And this is really interesting. I don't know if I told you this, but I had a long conversation with a woman who has a PhD in social work, and she works with abrasive bosses. So she would have worked with you, for example. Like the aircraft carrier people could have been like, this guy is so smart, but he's a disaster. We got to get him, you know, some coaching. And the coaching that she does is with abrasive leaders, and she teaches them, and very, very successfully teaches them to tap into empathy and kindness and, and learn constructive ways to offer criticism and to calm down. And, 
And she said, there's two things that drive these individuals. And she takes it from Sigmund Freud's work. So way back in the day, father of psychology. And it's two, we all have two deep, deep fears and they manifest a lot in abrasive leaders. We are afraid of annihilation. So we're like the, like the beaten dog, we're terrified we're gonna be killed. And that's like super brain level. We're just talking cellular brain level. We're terrified of annihilation and we're terrified of abandonment. And that just circles right back to the brain wants to connect more than anything. And so I'm really happy to hear you say that you've taken your diagnosis as a snapshot in time. You've taken your diagnosis as an absolute, like, you know, hopefully nobody got paid to give you that diagnosis because it's so obvious from your upbringing that you would have that type of a condition. And you're living proof, and it's why we're doing this podcast, that it doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how you were wired as a child. You can change it. That's neuroplasticity. All of us can change our brains. All of us can build and myelinate the neural networks that we think will serve us better and happier and healthier in our lives. Yeah, and I, and I, I wish, in hindsight, I wish there was a way we could have been more sequential about this, but... Like when we talked about the first episode, my memories just aren't sequential. And and you you share you, you explain that they're not going to be because there's the, the way the trauma. So listeners that are just joining in, yeah, maybe it makes more sense to, to go back and listen from the first episode to this one, number six. But I can't promise there's going to be any any rhyme or reason to what we talk about because I'm just trying to pick something and then work with Jennifer to unpack the why and the how and, and what you can do to get past it. Exactly. I think that's probably a good stopping point before we go in, into a down another rabbit hole. The one thing about these topics is the time goes by so quickly, but, but thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for listening to The Bullied Brain. As a reminder, neither Jennifer nor I are licensed clinical physicians psychologists or mental health professionals. Everything we are talking about during this podcast is anecdotal as it relates to me, Eric Jorgensen. If you are looking for help or you would like to seek answers to your own questions, we encourage you to seek out a mental health professional in your area. Please do not try to do or overcome any trauma on your own. Thanks for listening.